This is the World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. I wanted to let you know that as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that you're welcome to attend wherever you are in the world. You can learn more about them and register for them via our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the World of Work podcast. Today, we are joined by a friend of the show, Naomi Collins, who is a talent and leadership expert, but also a researcher about bereavement and people's experience of work during those periods. And before we get into the main conversation, Naomi, it'd be really lovely if you could introduce yourself to the audience and say a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my background is in psychology. Uh, I have an undergrad in psych and a master's in organisational psychology. Um, but actually, my, my day job is in talent and leadership development. So um, I've had experience both working in consultancies and um, I'm currently working in-house now. Brilliant. And we know each other, right? So yeah. <laughs> you're joining us because we did our master's together. Exactly. And I've been waiting and James has been patiently waiting too for like a year for you to come <laughs> and talk to us about your research because we were really excited about it, right? So why don't you just tell us a little bit about the research you're going to be talking to us today? Yeah. So um, my research project for my master's was actually um, quite a personal one for me. So I um, experienced bereavement about six years ago. I lost my mother. Um, and for me, it was it was quite a difficult time at the start of, of my career as well. Um, and I found that not many people knew how to interact with me. Um, and I found the, the experience very difficult. I ended up actually, you know, resigning and, and going and traveling the world a little bit. And so, you know, I lived abroad for, for a period of time as well. Um, and that kind of motivated me to see if there was anything out there in terms of research about bereavement and the workplace and actually I found that there really wasn't um which was quite surprising um but then in a way that spurred me on to actually do my research in that area um and really hone in on it um okay and I remember like meeting you on day one of our course right yeah. <laughs> when we didn't really know what we we're doing but you already I think we had a talk on the first day and they were saying oh you're gonna have to do a research project yeah. you already had an idea right yeah so you came in thinking I, I not not necessarily I want to make things better for people but definitely I want to yeah. understand how how it works yeah. is that right absolutely so firstly there was a real curiosity as to was my experience something that other people had um, and actually, as I spoke to pe- spoke to people kind of anecdotally, yes. Um, but I really wanted to understand what was going on, like what was behind that. Um, and definitely there was real purpose around it. Okay, that sounds really interesting. And we love anyone who does research that comes from a personal perspective because for us it, it's, it helps people understand why and where it's come from. Yeah. I guess, I've, I mean, I've read your paper. I love it. I think it's incredibly helpful. Um, but so that we can make it really simple for everyone and, and get their heads around it, I guess there's a couple of pieces of, of information that's helpful to understand. So I guess the first one is you talk a lot in your research about identity and identity transitions specifically. Could you maybe explain to the audience a little bit in simple terms what you mean by a, an identity and an identity transition? Yeah, of course. And identity is a, is a word we hear quite a lot at the moment. But um, identity, in essence, it's who you are it's the answers to the questions who am I um what am I about essentially um 
And it's not simple to just be and exist and, and have your identity. Um, we have multiple different identities. So you have your, your core, your self-identity, and that is who who's Jane to Jane. But then you will have other identities. So like with me, you'll have your friend identity. Um, and that is something that you negotiate with me. I, I perceive you to be my friend in a certain way and, and we negotiate that relationship. But everyone has identities, whether that is, you know, their partner, friend, their job. Um, and all of these different identities can actually be competing with one another. So you could be, um, you know, some kind of high-flying lawyer but then also sideline as, as like a comedian. <laughs> um, and actually sometimes they compete. So um, that, that's quite interesting. But in essence, you have to work at then having those identities. Um, and that's something called identity work. Um, people undergo transitions in identity after big changes. So thinking in the workplace, uh, a work event that might trigger a... Um, a, an identity transition would be getting a promotion to a manager after being an individual contributor. So that's a it's a big shift, and actually a lot of um, a lot of people end up needing transition coaching to kind of help ease that. Um, but obviously, there are other things that happen to us. We don't just exist in the in the work bubble. We have lots of other things happening outside of of the workplace. You know, whether that's having having your first child or, or getting married there's lots of different things that can influence who you are and might dial up or dial up dial down how you show up at work okay and that makes total sense so um and I can think of it right I can think of times where um I was I got my first senior leadership role and you go away don't you and you 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 kind of question is, is it okay to be me as I am do I want to be me yeah. as I am how do people see me as a leader versus a versus in my team and I think especially when it, those those transitions happen in the same organization yeah. that's weird right because they're like one minute you're with people on one identity and the next minute it's different and I always yeah. think I always used to joke with one of my bosses um that he was I knew him from outside of work as well as in work and I used to joke about how he was such a different person yeah. he was this person out of work and he was a bit um he was quite he was quite funny he was quite you know charming he enjoyed socializing <laughs> but in work he was not introverted but definitely very serious very simple yeah. very straightforward and it always it always struck me that I, I didn't really understand it but I was anyone who saw them yeah so I always found that weird okay that's really really helpful um for understanding a bit of a backdrop now I guess the second question that'd be really helpful to understand is around bereavement um what do you mean when you're talking about is it is it like a time is it a period is it a process when you talk about bereavement what are you referring to yeah and it, it's a really good question actually Jane because I remember as I was doing doing my, my research, having to actually define what bereavement was was quite tricky. There were multiple, you know, different definitions. And, you know, is bereavement the actual passing away of someone? Is bereavement that grief process? Um, and actually, I chose to look at it as um, that transition period. So bereavement might start to, you know, commence even before someone has passed away. Um, and it can go, and it will obviously go on for for kind of a long period. Um, and it, there's no clear cut definition of how much time that would be um, or anything like that, really. So for me, I define it as the almost akin to the identity transition someone might go through with a bereavement. 
So does that mean that when you're thinking about bereavement and talking about it, you're talking about the period that someone identifies as being in a period of bereavement, effectively, yeah. and whether they've come out the other side? And if it's a kind of, in some sense, it's defined by that person, right? Definitely. Yeah, okay. it's completely based on that individual. Okay. And does, do people, I mean, it sounds like a really obvious question because I feel like I know the answer, but I'm going to ask <laughs> it anyway. Do people experience bereavement differently? What, yeah. do, are, there, are there themes about how people experience it or how does it show up for people? Well, there are some commonalities, okay. which um, we'll come to in a moment, but um, bereavement is really different for everyone, and it's going to be different based on who is the person that they have lost, um, and how I link it back to the, the piece with identities is actually how central to your own identity is that person that you've lost. So it's not as simple as defining that, oh, you know, they were my mother or my father or they were my wife or my husband and therefore we must have been really close. It's actually how much does that person mean to you in your kind of sphere of existence? Um, and then that can impact how the, the, you know, the magnitude of someone's bereavement really Um yeah, and I, 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 I'm, I'm very conscious we're talking about a very sensitive subject, but I guess the same thing at the time, I, wanna, I want this to be useful for people. And I guess yeah. one of the things I was just thinking about was, so I lost my dad last year. Yeah. And uh, my dad, he was very, very, very ill for a very, very yeah. long time. And so the experience I had when he passed away was so different from any number of my friends who lost their parents I guess before would be commonly expected. You know, my dad was also very old. It, it wasn't, it was not a surprise. And therefore my experience of it, whilst also really hard, was completely different yeah. from some of my friends who might have lost their parents earlier in life um, or in different ways or quite suddenly. Yeah. And it, it just, even in that moment, you can imagine, I think, the scale of experience of people. So it must be, I guess it, it makes it quite hard for people around people to be able to relate or be able to get a guess I guess what they need or what they want yeah definitely and you know it, it's quite sad really because I've I've spoken to people that have lost perhaps their their grandmother and then the the level of support that they get um it other people go oh that's not so sad is it like your grandmother was really old or oh yeah. you couldn't have been that close to them but actually it really is dependent on the individual and you know I've had these people come up to me and be like you know, my grandmother was like my second mother to me. We were so close. We had like a really different relationship than other people would expect. But then there isn't um, a space for them to kind of exist in and have that that kind of validation for the fact that they are grieving and that they're sad. Um, that makes total sense. Right. So we now let's get on to your research, which I'm yeah. really excited to talk about. <laughs> so um, I feel bad saying excited. It feels like the wrong thing to say about this topic, but I am. So bereavement terrible time different for everyone um a period really um of quite a sort of life shock let's go with or a big life event um you're you're interested in is what happens in the way that people think about work or experience work or the way that they're experiencing or choosing to experience work and i guess what i'd really like to do is by start by understanding what happens to people when they're thinking about life and work when yeah. they're experiencing bereavement yeah, and, it, you know, bereavement really is a shock. I think someone someone passing away that's close to you, and even if it is, you know, like you say, it, it might be expected, it still can be very shocking to an individual. Um, and this kind of triggers 
Um, what I found in my research anyway is it triggers a, a kind of search for meaning. So people go through this process of complete reevaluation of everything in their life. So that includes themselves, their own identity. You know, who, who am I? Who am I in this world if someone can just die like that? Um, what's the meaning of my work? You know, what is the meaning of life? It, it, they go into this kind of existential analysis. Um, and, and that's where this links into the workplace because suddenly all of these, the self-questioning, this kind of, you know, search for meaning, self-exploration and re-evaluation, they start to look at what work means for them within the context of that. That's really helpful and actually not surprising at all. Actually, now you say it, of, of mm-hmm. course, I mean, I, I totally recognise what you're talking about. I remember it. And I remember actually being quite shocked about it because I had expected I, I was you know to some extent I, I knew you know I knew it was I, the dad's passing away I wasn't surprised but I recognized that I still threw me into a whole period of like huh I think I might think about the world a bit differently now yeah um so makes sense so we start rethinking when this happens mm-hmm. and we start you know wondering what work's doing for us and all of these things what else did you find yeah, and so I guess the the way in which um, people then experienced, and when I say their workplace, I mean how supportive their manager might have been, how people treated them at work, the content of the work, all of these things help them. They're, they're signposting to them during their searches for meaning. What, what importance or what value is my job? And so... Because of the differentiation between individuals' experiences at work, people then had different identity transitions that they underwent following a bereavement or during and following a bereavement. Brilliant. So there were... You found four, didn't you, particularly? So why don't you just briefly run through what four you found and then let's talk about each of them a little bit more so that we understand them. Yeah, sounds good. So the four identity transitions I found were shielded, demoted demarcated and tainted work identities. Cool, that sounds serious. Okay, (laughs) let's start with shielded. Quite intense. Um, So shielded work identities, they relate to when someone wants to actually preserve or protect their work identity. So in my research, I found that um, individuals that were going through quite a painful or maybe even a a stigma with their bereavement um, meant that actually they saw work as a place of salvation for them. It was something that they really wanted to retain and uphold. Um, it gave some people a sense of kind of control in, a, in the world of chaos that is bereavement. And so um, th- these individuals kept their, their work-related uh, identity and their non-work-related identity very separate. And so actually um, one of the individuals referenced that many people didn't even know that her husband had died. Um, Perhaps one other close confidant at work did, but she liked that and it it gave her kind of this, like I said, this this salvation, this one peaceful place that she could be um, in in the chaos of the rest of her her life. And I think think that's that's extraordinary because when you think about it, I can't tell you the number of times I've been participant to conversations where people pass judgment on others for the way they're experiencing something, whether it's bereavement or something else. And I can imagine a work environment, everyone's like, 
well, they seem completely unbothered. But actually what you're saying is this was, in some sense, either a coping mechanism or something at least that is shifting in the way they think about. And this is something that's providing... Work is a place where they don't have to think about it. Yeah, absolutely. And so maybe, maybe there's something for us all in that about, you know, never assuming that we can possibly imagine why someone is choosing to experience something in a certain way yeah and and I guess a, a piece I kind of missed out earlier when we were talking about identities but how we perceive ourselves and our, our, our self-definition that's something that gives us self-worth and self-esteem and if one of our other uh, other identities such as a non-work identity is kind of dragging you down and you know de- devaluing you probably will want to shield those those identities that are giving you kind of you know well we've all done it right and esteem yeah we've absolutely all done it something's going wrong somewhere else forget bereavement for it but something's going on so yeah. going wrong somewhere else in our life bad breakup maybe we've had a terrible parenting <laughs> morning we find salvation and this is the thing i'm good at exactly. this is the thing that i am recognized as good at and i can take pride in um makes total sense okay so that's shielded talk to us a little bit about demoted yeah so um demoted work identities this is where um in comparison to other work ident- um, other identities even, individuals lowered, they kind of deprioritised their work identity. Um, and for a lot of these individuals, they actually referenced how highly they did value their work identities before bereavement. So, um, you know, they were... A, a lot of these individuals were in quite high-flying jobs. They spoke often about, um, you know, wanting to climb the, the corporate ladder and, you know, next job, next job, next job. Very driven um, individuals. Um, and bereavement during those searches for meaning gave them the kind of, I guess, the perspective to go, hey, wait a minute, does this really matter? Does my work matter as much as I think it does? Um, and, I, that, you know... People often talk about, is that like, you know, that kind of end of life, like when I'm on my deathbed, is, am I, what am I really going to be reflecting back on? And it's not going to be, you know, I climbed the corporate ladder and I got here and anyway. And so these individuals, they just lowered, lowered their work identities in comparison to other identities. They literally demoted their work identity under something else. Yeah. Okay. And so I guess for organisations supporting those people, it's about giving them the space and time to adjust and, and refine where that work sits in their life. Yeah, and actually, interestingly enough, um, the individuals that demoted their work identities, they did have really supportive workplaces um, and you know work and managers and kind of social systems around them in the organi- in organisations. Um, and so I, I guess it's worth pointing out that it's probably inevitable that people are going to, you know, have a, have a different work identity following a, a personal bereavement. Um, and the two we've spoken about, shielded and demoted, those really, I mean, we can't say they are the best ones, but, you know, those are seen more healthy in comparison, you know, more stable. And people actually. talked about them. When you spoke to those people, they seemed more able to, to I guess... I don't want to say find peace because that sounds terrible, but but to to be comfortable with how that's happened in their lives yeah. and they're okay going forward about it. Yeah, I mean, these were definitely the individuals that, um, shall we say, were the le- least traumatised by okay. how their workplaces had kind of treated them, essentially. Okay, well, let's... Okay, that's probably a good point to then move on yeah. to the next one. <laughs> so let's talk to us about... Talk to us about demarcated. 
Yeah, so demarcated, that's that's essentially a, a word for separate, so separated. These are the individuals that, that reference their, um, their work identities as kind of their whole identities. They really define themselves with their, their job title, and it, it seemed there wasn't really much room for anything else, actually. And these were even individuals that, you know, were married, had had kids, um, but they really defined very strongly with their work identity. Now, their workplaces were less um, kind of um, less accommodating, shall we say, than those with demoted work identities. Um, and actually, quite a few of these individuals had had a really, really tough time. And um, during their searches for meaning, they really they realised there was more to life than just their job. Um, they started referencing that actually, you know, I, I'm I'm more than I'm more than my job. You know, I'm a father. You know, I am a husband. I am a friend. And they they suddenly had this realization that actually. They have other work identity, um, work, work, other identities, um, and it almost seemed like they diversified their, their self worth and their self meaning across a range of different things. Maybe a, a, as a form of kind of self preservation, but um, they definitely pushed pushed away from their work identities in that sense. And is that, in some senses, that do, did you find that the sorts of people that were experiencing that was there anything around? like being able to better separate. So were they, did you find that they were separating their work and their selves um, in a practical basis? So, you know, literally prioritising being a parent and all of that more? Yeah, and a lot of them changed jobs, actually. So I think they probably found themselves in workplaces where work had to be their everything. Um, you know, I'm talking about roles where perhaps they had high billings targets and they therefore could be working all hours of the day and actually removing themselves from uh, that kind of environment helped them to separate it physically um, and, be- and become these other identities. Brilliant. And let's talk about the last one. Yeah, um, the last one. I'm nervous about talking about this, Tainted. So tell me about the experiences of individuals that you described um, their transitions as, as under the category of tainted. Yeah, and, and so tainted. It's all, it's all in the word, really, isn't it? Um, this was by far the, the most severe um, identity transition individuals went through. Work identities, it refers to um, the, de- the degrading in value of, of identities, um, so, as you mentioned, there was a couple of different things happening here, but for for most, it referred to the way individuals had been treated by their employers, most often their managers, actually, um, and and this perception of mistreatment from their employers. It it was really really it resulted in a really strong um, re- result. Okay, so a really strong result. Tell us about that. What happened? Did people leave? What, what, how, does it, how does it show up? Yeah, so people felt that they, their humanity had been breached. On the most basic level, people had lost someone really close to them and they just felt that they hadn't been treated as a human. There was a breach of humanity for them. Um, and it was such a strong kind of perception of, misin- of, of in- misinjustice um, that that people actually resigned almost immediately afterwards. 
they they just saw that now their work identities were associated with the way that they had been treated. You know, people referenced that they couldn't possibly be part of that organisation the way that they had been treated. They had to get rid of that work identity by resigning immediately. Even individuals who had really valued their their job title, their career, um, and loved their jobs previously, suddenly that label for them, that identity, it was contaminated and they the easiest way for them to, to maintain any value, any self-worth at all, was to suddenly disassociate completely with that identity and resign. And that is both horrifying and completely unsurprising, yeah. right? Like when we're experiencing extreme trauma in our lives, if yeah. our organisation is not able to give up, if not support us, at least not treat us inhumanely, yeah. then... I, I, it can't be a surprise to anyone listening that that triggers a really, really strong reaction. Of, of course. And at its core, it's really self-preservation. You know, people will resign if they, if they, if they are being well, treated not as a, humane, as a human. Yeah, and obviously, like, you know, your relationship with your organisation, organisations have enormous power. The organisation we work for full-time particularly, um, if you do has enormous power over our lives. It decides when and how and what we do and all of these things. And if we can't trust that in the period of extreme trauma, they're going to look after us, it kind of breaches some level of societal responsibility, it feels like to me. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about how much employees give to employers, you know, day to day, day in, day out, um, and something so shocking and you know one of the worst experiences someone can go through a bereavement um it it's just i guess my research really highlights that during that period it is one of the most sensitive periods where not only have they lost someone so close to them and they are in a really vulnerable position but they are immediately triggered into this search for meaning and the way that employers and managers actually respond to individuals in those times, in that kind of time of need, it can really, you know, determine whether that individual will stay, what they will think of, you know, work in the future, just general support, really. It can be done in so many different ways, as as we've seen by the the four kind of, you know, shielded, demoted, demarcated and tainted. How employers respond to people going through bereavement is it's impactful it's it's meaningful okay Naomi just talk us through what are the four uh types of identity transition that your research looked at so we have shielded we have demoted demarcated and tainted brilliant and you've told us there a little bit about each of those that's been really really helpful um I guess the obvious question coming for our our podcast that we always ask everyone is What's your advice then? So uh, let's imagine for a moment someone's in a workplace, they're working alongside someone who's in a period of bereavement. What would your advice be based on what you, you've experienced or what you've learned that they can do to, to support that person? Yeah, so I think there's a number of things that, that people can do to support those going through bereavement. But, you know, thinking in the context of my research, the first thing is to remember that they are a human being and actually just to, to treat them as such. Um, the, the second is to, to think about the fact that flexibility is really, really crucial. People will experience bereavement in different ways. 
and um, these identity transitions they're not they're not just linear they're kind of messy and people can go back and forth between being in a good place and a bad place and so ongoing support is really helpful and just checking in with that that individual um, and just supporting them so really there's an I think and I think it's really important to come back to this I think in all of the world of psychology and work psychology particularly there's lots of models and there's lots of curves and there's things like the grief curve and all of those things and all of those things demonstrate if you don't know them well and haven't read the research a linear process right yeah and it's not right no, nobody who's been re- I've never well I've never spoken to anyone who's described it as such yeah right we're human and humans are messy so I think that's a really amazing message and I also think that your last point is worth repeating you know just offer support and be kind yeah right? it ta- being kind and treating people like humans sometimes when we're scared of something and we don't know how to deal with it we go to a policy yeah. and we're like oh what's the policy for someone who's bereaved and do they fit into the category of close family or not just just stop worrying about those things and take a step back yeah and try and think how can i be human and connect with this person and and allow them to at least feel that i am working in their interests even if i'm not getting it right yeah and you know give yourself license to ask that person how they're doing um it's quite funny i i used to have people say oh i i, I didn't want to bring it up you know i didn't want to remind you of it believe me that person is not <laughs> then they've not forgotten that's an experience they're going to be having for a long time and you referencing that you know they've gone through this is helpful to them it's not going to suddenly make them go oh my god I'd forgotten that you know this person had passed away yeah so and I I mean I remember early in my career it happened a couple of times and I did that I did exactly that yeah I, I just totally swerved it I was like I'll just let someone else deal with that and then I had some really good advice from someone and I can't remember who it was but they said why don't you just ask and I've probably, podcast listeners will know this story not this story but the output which yeah. is why not just ask them how they're doing today? Yeah. Because as soon as you ground it in today, it gives them the option. If they don't want to talk about it, they don't have to. They can say, do you know what? I had a really rubbish journey into work. Yeah. And if they do want to talk about it, they can say, you know what? Today's a really bad day for me. Um, I've been thinking about it more than usual. Yeah. And that gives people the license to choose. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't have that sort of slightly vague, how are you doing? Um, so there you go. That's my advice for nothing. No research, but uh, I quite like it. Naomi, thank you so much for coming to talk to us about our, uh, your research. I, I know we've talked about, both of us have talked about how little research there is in this area mm-hmm. and how I just, it, I, I, I'm still a little bit blown away that organisations don't question why there's no research in the area because we all experience this right mm. so many of us are in work when we're being re- i mean that's just that's the common norm so um thank you for thank you for sharing it with us thank you for sharing it with the audience um i guess my last question as always people are interested in you is there any way that they can connect or or get to know you yeah absolutely um and please feel free to reach out to me i'm, I'm on linkedin on under naomi collins so <laughs> if you do a search you should be able to find me there Yeah, and we'll tag you in when we publish the episode as well. Um, But until then, just thank you very much for coming in. We've been waiting ages. It totally lived up to explanation, so thank you. Um, I know it's a very personal topic to you, so I really appreciate you. uh, We especially appreciate you coming on and talking about it. And uh, that's all from us. So goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Hi, it's Jane. I just wanted to say thanks for listening to the whole episode. If you enjoyed it, if you have a question, or if you just want to say hi, you can find us on Twitter at worldofwork_io. 
Don't forget, you can also find out more about what we do, including our online seminars, workshops, and development programs on www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.